Well, welcome to part four and the last message in a series we've been calling Servants and Sons. We've been in the book of Luke, the 15th chapter, kind of using that as our text. So you can go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn there and we'll be reading there shortly. To just cap uh, what we've covered so far, obviously in Luke 15, we have the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son. And so, so far what we've done is we've looked at that younger brother, the prodigal, the knucklehead, right? And we saw what he did, the decisions, the choices he made. He asked for his inheritance from his dad, took that inheritance, went, went out and squandered it in riotous living, got himself in, bad, in a bad place, and um, the bottom line is he reaped what he sowed. You're acting like you've never reaped, reaped what you've sown, right? Isn't that interesting? Sometimes it's just what we, we're reaping what we have sown. And so we see this young man, and he's in bad shape, but he comes home. He does the right thing. He comes home. He repents. And, um, and the father receives him again. So we've talked about the younger brother. We've also talked about the father. And I'm just crazy impressed with the father because not only is the father in this story, but our heavenly father is ridiculously generous and gracious and merciful. We, his kindness reaches us wherever we are. And I don't know if you've ever been out there so far where you feel like not even the kindness of God can reach me, but the arm of God is not short for reaching out and grabbing prodigals can I hear an amen in the house so we've talked about the younger son we've talked about the father but there's one family member we have not yet looked at and so this morning I want to talk to you about the older brother okay and we're going to look at his life and we're going to see what we can learn from what this parable teaches us about the older brother can we begin with prayer we're about to look into the word and we know that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a tutor. The Bible calls him the spirit of truth, and part of his job is that he reveals truth to us. So what I want to do is I want to pray, and I want to give the Holy Spirit permission to work in my life, and I advise you to do the same. And we're going to ask that as we read his word and we look into it, that he would bring revelation and move us along in our growth path as a believer. So would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for the church. Thank you for your work in my life. Now, Holy Spirit, I invite you to be the spirit of truth, to give me revelation and wisdom. Help me to see what's truly being said, what God the Father is trying to communicate in this passage. My heart is open. I declare that the seed of your word is going to fall on good ground in my life. And everybody said passionately, amen. amen. Turn with me, Luke chapter 15. We're going to begin reading in verse 25. And here's how it reads. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother's back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Verse 28. Then the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, I, I just got to add that. I don't know. It just makes sense here. Yet when this son of yours come, comes back after squandering your money, 
On prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. We're looking at the older brother in this story. It's the one we've not yet talked about. And the, the title of our series is Servants and Sons, so we're kind of exploring the two roles that you and I play in our relationship with God. We are both servants of God and we are sons of God. And it is really my heart's desire as your pastor that we find the balance in those two roles. And what we see here with the older brother is the older brother had the servant role nailed down. Where did we find him in this passage? He was in the field working. So, I mean, he had the idea that we're supposed to serve God. The older brother was in the field working. Remember, he even said, all these years, Father, I have slaved for you. Now, I think that word, the, the word that he chose there, slave for you, is kind of indicative about what's going on in his heart. And so he has the servant role nailed down. But what we find is he really doesn't understand sonship because the father had to say to him, listen to me, son, and even called him my dear son. He said, all that I have is yours. So he had the servant role, but he didn't understand sonship. And I think this is important for us because there may be some of us in here today, you know, we've already in the past few weeks, we've preached to the prodigals and, and we've, we've called the younger son home. But, and so the, the prodigals have had their chance for, for repentance and for change. But there may be some older brothers among us today that we understand service. We understand what it means to slave for God and to work for God. And, and that's important but if we're not careful, those kind of things, it, it, this can get out of balance. And so we, we understand is the, the older brother had the servant role nailed down. But I, I think there's two possible reasons for us to look at to really understand his, his position and why he was so bent on the servant role but didn't understand the sonship role. I want to give you, and this is just Jody's um, Jody's, you know, studying and, and looking. This is the JEV version, the Jody's expanded version, okay? So two possible reasons for, for the older son's position. First of all, it could have been ignorance that, that he just didn't know. This older son didn't know that all the father had was his. And he wasn't aware of everything that the father had for him. He wasn't aware of the blessings that are tied to being in right standing with the family. So it could have been ignorance. And there may be here, those of us here this morning, who we are all about service, but we don't know what the benefits of the family are. Or we've even been taught that if we think about somehow our Christianity, our relationship with God benefiting to us, benefiting us, we think we've been taught somehow that that's selfish or that's some kind of wrong ambition. So it could have been ignorance, the reason he wasn't walking in his full sonship. It also, though, could have been what I call comparison. Now, we see with the younger son, the prodigal, we saw that he had the audacity to go to dad and demand his inheritance, like while dad was still alive, 
He demanded his inheritance, and he took that inheritance, and he went it all in riotous living. Now, my, my suggestion to you is that attitude that he showed in doing that didn't happen overnight. He was probably that way his entire life. Maybe the older brother had watched the younger brother, watched his entitled behavior. I mean, the younger brother was probably like the Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie of the Christian world. That's funnier than you're acting right now. Right? I'm talking about just blowing, you know, entitlement, blowing daddy's money. And so maybe the older brother his whole life had watched the younger brother had watched him uh, just be reckless and watched the younger brother enjoy the privileges of the family without understanding the responsibility of the family. Can I tell you something, church? You you need to know this. These are two words you need to write down, privilege and responsibility. This is important in life. It's important in our Christian life. We, there are privileges of serving God. There's also responsibilities in serving God. There's, there's always a connection between privilege and responsibility. You know, I was thinking this week, I know some people who, have, um, who are business owners, you know, and their businesses have done well. Anybody know anybody like that? Their businesses have done well. And, and what people tend to do in that instance is a lot of times they stand back and they look at that business owner who's doing well in his business and go, how lucky he is, how lucky she is. And they, they are jealous of the privileges that these business owners are walking in, but they don't understand the responsibility that came along with it because there was responsibility long before there was privilege. And so we look at these people and say, man, I wish, what they, I, wish I had what they had. Well, maybe if you do what they did, you'd have what they have, right? So there's always that connection. So maybe the older son had looked at the younger son and seen all he understands is the privilege of the family. He doesn't understand responsibility. So the the older son decides then, I'm going to go heavy on the responsibility side. So everybody get that with me. Understand that the, the older son had a real comprehension on servant, on being a servant. And, you know, when we, when we embrace that servant role and we truly understand what it means to be a servant of God, here's what tends to show up in our life. First of all, we're humble and we're grateful. And that's a beautiful thing, church. I don't know about you, but I'm well aware of all that God has done for me, especially just loving a mess like me. I'm aware of that. And you know what it causes me to respond with? Humility and gratitude. That's why worship isn't a problem for me. Because I can sing Amazing Grace. And it means something to me. I don't know what it means to you. But I can sing that you saved a wretch like me. Because I don't know about you, but I've been a wretch before. Any wretches in the house? So when we understand that servant role, it creates this humility and gratitude in us, and that's a precious thing. We need more of that in our churches. Can I hear an amen? But the problem is if we take that to extremes, if all we understand is that I am a servant of God, the best example I can give you is this. It's like you have this, this home, the family home, and you have a bedroom in that home, but you don't choose to sleep in that bedroom. You sleep in the barn. So if we go too far in that, I'm just a servant, I'm a lowly servant of God, we'll sleep in the barn when there's a perfectly good bedroom for us in the house, but we don't understand it or we don't choose to walk in it. 
So there's beauty in the gratitude and humility that comes with the servant mentality. But if we take it too far, we miss the family blessings. Now, in the son role, are you, everybody following me on this? Is this confusing? Let's talk about the son role for a moment. You know, if you understand and truly comprehend the, the, the role of sonship, that you and I are sons of God, it allows us to enjoy the benefits of the family. We understand and we can appreciate and walk in the benefits of the family. Now, you know, as I was thinking about this, as I was preparing, I was thinking about some of the families in our church you know, and, and I know some of the stories of, of your family. And there's many of us in here who have come from very humble beginnings. I know people in this church who say, growing up, we, we just didn't have much. We were, there was very humble beginnings. And some of you come from downright rough, dysfunctional poverty. I mean, you come from a rough background. So if you've come from either an humble background or a rough background, a lot of times what people do is they say, I want something different for my life and I want something different for my family. And so what most of you in that case do is you go to work and you decide, you know what? First of all, you come to the Lord and you start applying godly principles to your life. And then second of all, you work hard and you're productive. You know that you want a different a different family situation than that which you've come out of. And I can look and, and I could call names of family who you have through, again, applying godly principles and from hard work, you have now built a life that your children can enjoy that was something different than you enjoyed. Is there anybody in here who can say amen to that? Like I've been, I built this. Okay, now I want you to think about this. If you belong to that group, that you have built a healthy, stable, solid life, even though that was not something you had. And then so you and your spouse, you've built this life, and then you have children, right? And you bring your children into this home that, that represents your life. And you've worked hard, you've created this, it's better than you grew up with, so you're excited to give this to your children. And each of your, your you have two sons, and each of them have their own bedroom. And one night, uh, about... 10 o'clock, the, uh, the cravings kick in for some bluebell. And you just decide, okay, I, I just uh, got this big house and, and I just need to go to the kitchen. And so you go to get your bluebell fix. And when you walk in, you find that, that one of your children is rummaging through the trash, picking up scraps for his, for his late night slack. He's in the trash can getting food. How many of you, if your parents in that situation wouldn't say, why are we rummaging through trash? There's a refrigerator right there full of food that, that, that we provided for you. Imagine if that child would say, no, 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 no. No, can't take a part of that, right? And so they, they decline, decline what's in the refrigerator and then that child says, well, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna go back to bed. And so you say goodnight and, um, and instead of that child going down to the hallway to his bedroom, that child goes into the laundry room and lays down on the dog mat in the laundry room. 
How many of you as parents would say, wait a minute, I've provided something much more for you than digging through the trash for scraps or for sleeping on dog beds. I've put a life together. You have a room with your name on it. You have a bed in there. I've provided something. How many of us parents don't want our children to enjoy the benefits of the life we've put together for them? Is there a parent in the room who said, I don't want my, parent, my kids to enjoy that? No, all of us. We want them to enjoy it. But see, if we have too much of a servant mentality, slave mentality, and we don't understand sonship, it'll cause us to rummage through trash when the refrigerator is ours. The benefits of the family are there. So if we take the servant role to extreme, that's where it can go. Now, what about the son role? Imagine that this same scenario is happening, but you have another child, and this other child's got the son role down pat. Right? So the dad you know, decides to, uh, to go to bed. And so, so the parents go, go into the bedroom and they know that they've, they've created a room for this son, but they go into the master bedroom and they find the other son. He's not digging through the trash. He's wearing dad's robe. He's got dad's slippers on. He's brushing his teeth with dad's toothbrush and he's laid out in the master bed, right? Now, how many of you think that would be taking the son role to extremes? He goes to the refrigerator, opens it, and sees that something's missing. So he goes on the shopping list, and instead of writing chips, he writes prime rib. (laughs) Mom, where's the prime rib? Where's the bluebell? You understand? Are y'all following me? So either one of these roles taken to extreme will move us out of balance. What I'm pleading for and what I hope, what I hope this series creates is you and I with an understanding that I am a servant of God and I want to stay humble. I want to stay grateful. I want to serve him. I want to be of use in his kingdom. And if God wants to call me to do something, even something difficult, I want to say that I'm a servant and I'm available, God. I'm your man. You've been so good to me. I will serve you. I will give my life to you in, in, in service. That's my act of worship. I want our church to have that, but I also don't want us to be over here. I mean, I also want us to understand sonship that even though we are serving God, it doesn't mean we have to eat out of the trash can. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the benefits of the kingdom of God. This older brother, he was in the field working while there was a party going on in the house. He was missing the party. And when he was invited, he declined to go in. I want to say to you, as much as the younger brother was out of balance in taking his inheritance and running off and spending it in riotous living, I'd say to you, the older brother was just as much out of balance because he wasn't enjoying the benefit of being part of that family. So if we're going to be balanced in this and have a proper understanding, then you and I are going to have to understand the complementing roles of being a servant and being a son. Now, this means something to me. I don't know if it means anything to you, but this topic very much means something to me because of my own personal experiences. I'm uh, 51 years old now. Yes. I have the gray hair to prove it and the lack of hair to prove it. I've lived long enough to kind of look back and, and see what God has done in my lifetime, especially in regards to the body of Christ. Because here's what I believe. I believe that Jody is not the head of the church. Jesus is. Right? 
And, and what we know from the word is that Jesus is preparing a bride for himself. I don't know about you, but I got that wrong early on in my, in my life. I read that scripture where it said that Jesus was going to have a bride without spot or wrinkle. I read that to mean, Jody, get yourself without spot or wrinkle because that's what Jesus wants. Come on, de-wrinkle yourself. Get the spots out. It moved me into this performance-oriented, like Jesus only loves me when I'm doing well. That's what it kicked me into. When I reread that, here's what I found, is that Jesus is preparing for himself a bride without spot or wrinkle. He's the one doing the work. And so when I look back over the, my lifetime and see kind of what God has said to his body, now I'm not specifically talking about victory or one church, but just the body of Christ, his body as he is guiding his body. I can look back and you've often heard me talk about my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, Papa Lafleur, um, was the first one in our family to come to know the Lord. He was a little bitty Frenchman, spoke French and English, Cajun French and English, and um, from the big old town of Mamou, right? That's him. And he came to know the Lord, and um, and he ended up. It's a, it's a crazy story. I'll tell you all of it one day. But he ended up being a pastor, and so I'm really proud. I'm a third generation minister. My son is a fourth generation minister, right? And that's beautiful. And so I credit my grandfather for making that first step, but. My grandfather ended up pastoring little Baptist churches all over South Central and Southwest Louisiana. And my, fa- my, my grandfather understood the, the role of servant. He kind of epitomized the role of I am a servant of God. And these churches where he pastored, they really had the, it nailed down that the pastor was a servant of God. Like we hire you to serve right these little churches and so much so that like you know if if sister Ida's cat climbs a tree and can't get out we're not calling the fire department we're calling the preacher because you're here to serve right and so th- those are the kind of churches my, my grandfather passed a pastor at and, and God bless him he did such a great job I'd have killed them all but he was so patient and kind he was just there serving and so he really had that concept of the role of a servant but carefully and respectfully I want to say that I don't know if my grandfather understood what it meant to be a son of God and enjoy the blessings of the house and so that was the generation my father my grandfather grew up in so I believe again Jesus being the head of the church he's looking down at his church and he says the pendulum's kind of swung too far on this idea that we are servants And so Jesus himself started sending voices into the body of Christ that would kind of teach us about sonship. You with me? And so you hear these voices, because remember, God does everything through people. How will they hear unless he sends a preacher? So these preachers started showing up, and they began to talk of things about, about things like the promises of God and believing God for the things that he said were ours. And you know what those voices began to teach us? That we're not just servants, we're sons. And that there are benefits and privileges to being a part of the family of God. And I believe that voice, those messages were a timely voice 
in response to the generation before that had gone so far on the, we are servants of God. I'm poor and I'm miserable, but I'm serving God. And, and he started sending messages and sending voices that would say, listen, you don't have to be poor and miserable. You can serve God and be happy. You can serve God and be fulfilled. You can serve God and be healthy. You can serve God and have a good family. You can serve God and even have some money. You can do these things. And these voices started coming in, and I believe that it was, again, engineered by God, by Jesus himself, to bring, to move that pendulum back to where we understand sonship. I can't tell if I'm landing with you or not. Right? But what happened is, so this is 80s, 90s. Again, I'm, I'm in the body of Christ then. And so, um, so 80s and 90s, these voices started coming. And at that time, I'm, I'm going to be careful with these terms because I don't want to give anybody a heart attack, okay? So the, the term, what God was doing in that time, we called the faith movement, right? In other words, we are looking in the scripture and finding that God has promises. God has promised health for us and healing for us. And in this, in this movement, God was teaching us how to stand in faith for the promises that he promised us in his, in his word. And so these voices began to, began to teach us. And I believe, again, it was swinging from my grandfather's generation to my dad's generation, getting a new understanding that I'm not just a servant, I'm a son. And so this faith movement was a good thing, and people, again, were, were beginning to understand that, that there was blessings as a part of being a part of the family of God. But in the same way that the pendulum can swing too far in this servant role, the pendulum can swing too far in this role, in the son role. And it did. Because what happened was, as it got too far, you know, you know what? Ministers are now wearing dad's robe and slippers and brushing their teeth with his toothbrush. And now we have video cameras everywhere. And so we can see it, and we see the excess. And so what happened, as this thing began to go too far, we relabeled it. It was no longer called the faith movement. You know what the new, move, the new name was? Hold on. The prosperity gospel. Right? Now, you can go on YouTube right now and type in the prosperity gospel, and I promise there'll be 8,000 videos that denounce the prosperity gospel. Here's, listen to my heart beyond my words. What I'm saying is I believe in the faith movement because God was teaching us how to be sons. Man took it too far and we saw some craziness and some excesses. But if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll watch all those videos and jerk this thing too far the other way and miss the benefits of sonship. If I want to say anything to you today, listen, the older son, he was out in the field. He was working. He was even slaving for the father. Now, how many of you think the father appreciated his work? But I also believe the father, we know this, that the father was grieved because he wouldn't come to the party. He didn't understand that all that the father had was his. And so this morning, here's what I want to do. Here's what I hope I accomplish in this message is move the needle in your spirit and in your mind uh, what does it mean to be a son? What does it mean to be a daughter? Are there benefits to that? And by God, if there are benefits, can I actually want them? 
Is it sin for me to want to walk in the benefits? And there's no way, listen, I couldn't teach you all these benefits in one sitting. I promise you, your behind would not endure what your ears would have to hear. So we can't stay here that long, talk about all the details of the blessings of the family of God, but I want to kind of show, a, show you a few scriptures just to get the wheels turning. And then what I hope happens is that if you find yourself that one of those that says, I, I'm the older brother, I understand service, but I don't know what it means to be a son, that maybe this will move you forward in your personal study time and you begin to study on the benefits, on sonship, on what it looks like to live as a son or a daughter of God. So I want to just show you a few scriptures, and I want to start with this. We're in the book of Luke, so flip over to the fourth chapter. And, um, and before we read this, I, I want to I set this up. I'm going I'm to have to move quick, okay? In Luke chapter 4, here's what we find. Is that Jesus is home in his hometown of Nazareth. Jesus was from Nazareth. And so he was back home. He had been traveling and doing some ministry in the region. Word about him was getting out. He was, it was getting a lot of influence in the culture. But now he's back home. He's in Nazareth. And he's at the temple on Sabbath. Listen, Jesus went to church. Okay? So as his custom, he's at church on Sunday. And... Um, sometimes during, those, um, during those, those services at the synagogue, what would happen, what would be customary, is that someone would take the scrolls, right, which would be the Old Testament version of your Bible, and someone would read from the scrolls. Well, Jesus had been traveling, like I said, and getting some influence, and everybody's talking about this Jesus guy. So they hand Jesus the scrolls. Hey, you're here today. Why don't you you choose our reading and why don't you read from the scrolls for us today? Jesus said, sure. So Jesus turns to the book of Isaiah, the 61st chapter, and he reads this passage, okay? And we're gonna read it in a minute, but let me just tell you this really quickly for as far as context. What he's reading is called a messianic prophecy. In other words, it's a prophecy about the Messiah. If you were Jewish, you're looking for the Messiah. You know that a Messiah is coming. And there was all these prophecies in the Old Testament that described what the Messiah was going to be like, what was he going to do, what was he going to say. And so these people were, I mean, this was like the John 3.16 of the day. All these people would have known this passage, but it's a messianic prophecy. And so as we read... It's written in the first person as if the Messiah was writing this, okay? So these are the words that the Messiah is going to say. This is the, what Jesus chose to read in church. Here it is, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the, good, the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So he stands up and he reads this. Like this is what the Messiah is going to say. And everybody's like, oh, good job, Jesus. You paid attention in Sunday school. Right, But then he closes the book, and here's what happens after that. Everybody, everybody knows this scripture. Everybody's comfortable with this scripture about a coming Messiah, whenever that is. He stands up and he says, today, this is fulfilled in your ears. I am the Messiah that this is talking about. Now, you can read the rest of your story about whether they threw a parade 
or they wanted to kill him. You can read and find that out. But here's the point I wanted to make. In this, in this moment, here's what I believe Jesus did. Jesus gave his mission statement. This is what I'm about. This is what I'm here to do. You know what I'm here to do? I'm here to heal brokenhearted people. Because I believe what he was saying is, if you're a son or a daughter of mine, a broken heart is not for you. And this, the word brokenhearted here, it doesn't just mean, um, you know, like, like your boyfriend broke up with you. It actually means to heal those who have been downtrodden by life. It means downtrodden by life. Why, am I, why is he saying this? Because he wants you to know if you're his son, then, then life doesn't have to walk all over you. You don't have to live a beat down, uh, miserable existence. He's here to heal you if that's the case you find yourself in. He said if you're poor, I want to preach good news to you. Now, in all of your theological understanding, what do you think the best news is to a poor person? You don't have to be poor. So I believe Jesus in this, he's giving his mission statement. And what he's saying is, remember, he's preaching to Jews. He's preaching to children of God. And what he's saying to them is, listen, if you're bound, I'm here to bring freedom because sons of God don't walk in bondage. They walk in freedom because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. He who the son set free is free indeed. You with me? So his mission statement, he begins saying, what I'm going to do to my sons and daughters, I'm going to show you the blessing of being part of the family. It's time for freedom. If you're blind, it's time for sight. If you're poor, it's time for wealth. If you're... He's introducing a new way of living to them. Now, please don't let some prosperity gospel video be playing in your mind right now. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there's benefits to this thing. We see and in the book of John, the 10th chapter, the 10th verse, Jesus again talking, he said this. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, listen to this. If there is theft, death, or destruction, it comes from the thief. It doesn't come from God. Theft, death, and destruction. I never once saw Jesus walk up to somebody who was, who was healthy and say, die in Jesus' name. It didn't happen. If there's theft, death, or destruction, it's from the thief. He said, but I, this is his mission statement, I come to give you life and life more abundantly. What he's saying to sons and daughters is, don't get so caught up in serving me that you forget that there's benefits to being part of this family. The book of 3 John, the first chapter and the second verse, Apostle John writing, he begins his letter by saying this, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. I love how he ties it to the soul because what he's saying is, what I want for you as an individual to be healthy on the inside emotional healthy, spiritually healthy, whole, right? I want you to be whole on the inside. Then I want the outside to be prosperous as well. There's benefits to serving God. So I want to say to you, church, I encourage you to begin studying the benefits of God. What does God have for you? Listen, if you need, if you need healing, I want you to know that, that healing is the children's bread, 
Healing is for you. Sickness is not from God. God did not make you sick to teach you something. The thief is the one who brings that. God is the healer. But there are those of us who are in the house and we're children of God, but we don't understand healing is for us. There's those of us who struggle. You know, a buzzword in our culture right now is mental health, and and I appreciate that. Mental health, everybody's concerned with mental health. You know what? Listen, Jesus redeemed your mental health. Mental illness is not for sons of God. It's not. Now, you're going to have to get in the Word, and you're going to have to learn that. You're going to have to build your faith. You're going to have to learn to stand on the promises of God, and you're going to have to walk your way into mental health. But mental health is for you if you are a son because there's blessings about being part of the family of God. Church, there's more out there than we know. I'm just saying let's not miss the idea of sonship. Let's understand everything that God has bought for us. So it's interesting as I'm I'm wrapping up this whole thing, I'm going to be finished here in just a second, but as I'm wrapping up this series and wrapping up this story, here's I want to kind of boil this story down to one final conclusion. In this story, we see a situation happen. That situation is is the younger brother taking his inheritance and going off into riotous living. We, We see that happen. We see a situation happen, okay? So he runs off. He comes home and gets and and, and is restored to his relationship with his father. So there's the situation. And then we have two characters in this situation. We have the younger brother and we have the older brother. And at the end of the day, at the end of this whole story, here's what we have. One situation, two people experiencing that same situation. At the end of the day, you have the younger brother who repented and was restored, came back with a heart to serve his father but to serve as a son and not a slave, you have the, 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 younger, the younger brother coming back and receiving restoration. And at the end of the day, you have the older brother, same situation he was looking at. But at the end of the day, the older brother ends up angry and bitter. So I want to say to you here this morning, we've just spent four weeks talking about this story. My question to you is, are you... Like the older brother, have you learned something new? Has something adjusted in you? And are you ready now to, to, to serve God, to, to give your life to him, but also receive the robe and the ring and the shoes and understand what it means to be restored to our sonship with the Father? Is that you? Or are you, you going to be the one left out in the field? There's a party going on. There's dancing happening somewhere. You're angry and you're bitter. By watching your younger brother and watching what all happened, you missed it all. You're out there serving, but you don't understand the benefits of sonship. So I don't know if I've said anything here this morning that may have challenged you. Listen, I know some people who really struggle with this issue. I know some people who who have a theology like, you, you you can't think about benefits of walking with God. You know what's interesting, though, is that um, I believe that, that health, that healing and health is a benefit of the kingdom of God. But I find people who, who they have trouble believing that, they have trouble believing in healing, but you know what they do? They take vitamins, and they watch what they eat, and they exercise, and they go to the doctor all the, time, all the while. What are they trying to do? They're trying to, they're trying to achieve health. So they believe in health, they just don't believe when it comes from God. They think I'm okay with health as long as I'm the one who did it. 
Let me talk about money real quick. You ready? I know some people who, boy, you start talking about God and money, and they get really crazy. And they just have this idea that don't tell me God's supposed to bless me. But you know what I find? Is that they went to school, got an education. Why? You know why? So they could have a good job. And they work hard every day to, to better themselves financially. They're fine with financial blessing as long as it comes from them. Just don't tell them God will give it to you. I'm not missing, missing the role of sonship. 